HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Rancho Gordo, growing the best and most interesting heirloom beans available. Learn more at ranchogordo.com. This week on Meet and 3, it's all about screens. We're diving into the world of TV, computers, and even VR to figure out how food consumption is shifted by a digital lens. Every course talks about a different topic within the Asian American identity through a very personal lens. And the three courses that are paired with VR, in it you're seeing a brushstroke by brushstroke recreation of the dish that you're about to eat. Most of us in the world live in urban areas. And so how much is the city already accidentally providing its residents? And how much more could it provide if um, we just made it a priority? Tune in to Meet and 3. HRN's weekly food news roundup wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Juan Grays. We'll talk to Juan about the current state of the wine and hospitality industry, natural wine, her restaurants, and a lot more. I'm your host, Sam Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Houston-born Juan Grays headed north to work for People magazine in New York City and Miami, eventually morphing to a career in wine, getting her chops at the retail level and at a wine importer in New York. She followed her love for wine into the restaurant biz and worked at Amphora, Boulet, Terroir, and Estella in New York City, to name a few. Swan Grays is now the wine director at Greg Backstrom's Olmsted and Maison Yaki in Brooklyn and is a big proponent of the live vibrancy of natural wines. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Swan. Thank you. Um, now... We're doing the interview via Zencaster because of COVID-19. Our fun studios at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick are closed. Mm-hmm. So, Zwan, where are you currently right now? Brooklyn? Yes, I'm in Brooklyn. I am in a quiet place in the back of uh, Maison Yaki. All right, so you're uh, actually at one yeah. of your restaurants. All right, yeah. so I, I want everyone, I don't want to assume everybody knows, you know, anything or everything about you. So I want you to give us a brief background um, of your journey in life and wine that got you to where you are currently, which is wine director at Olmsted and Mazanyaki. Tell me how you got here quickly. Quickly, uh, you pretty much summed it up in that intro. But well, no, I want to hear. I want to hear your embellishments. Don't give me that cop out. <laughs> okay, so the long story to the intro is basically um, was working wine retail for extra money, just as a it was a it was just kind of suggested to me as something that could be fun. Right. Um, had a mild interest in it as something that I drank here and there, but never even really drank growing up. My parents still don't drink. 
So it wasn't really a thing that I would have um, looked into getting into at the time. Um, But Steve Bond did it for extra money in, you know, as an aside to print media. Right. And then again, for extra money, because retail don't pay that much, neither. Um, Also had a friend suggest going to be a food runner um, at Boulay. And I think that really was where I saw Psalms in suits moving around the floor and the restaurant vibe, uh, the buzziness of, of service. And it really was um, kind of charming and enchanting to me. And I kind of think between that restaurant job and retail, I was able to kind of put the two together. And I knew financially that restaurants at the time were paying you know, much more, especially a place like Boulay. And so I just kind of, I remember telling myself one day, like, you're going to be, I want this. I want to be a song. And that was pretty much a self-affirmation that uh, has manifested into reality. So Boule was top of the game in those days. So you really got a dose of what the best looked like, right? Yes. It was a very much a different world. And a world that I enjoyed. But once I got out of that level of fine dining, I never had any interest to go back and I never right. did. But, but at least at least you had some exposure to it. Oh know, yeah, I think that's teeth. the thing. You once it's on that on that level, you can kind of chisel away at the rules and right. then start having a little fun because it was it was fun here and there. We found our fun spots, but it was a very serious um, space to work and to be in actually. Well, that aside from fine dining, which you're talking about, Boulet was a bit of a maniac, too. So I don't know how that played in the whole vibe anyway. You know, his reputation preceded him. Um, one I of the th- mean, he was not in the kitchen at the time. Um, okay. At that time, it was Cesar Ramirez, uh, who is, you know, brilliant. But at the same time, you know, we experienced things back there. It was just like, you just kind of fall silent at the... The intensity and the way intensity is expressed. Right. And it's almost like, I mean, here, an argument on the street, either way, you're going to be a little bit, so it can be a little jarring, especially when you've never worked in a restaurant before. Right. Um, so you just stand there and shut the fuck up, basically. Yeah. Food so and one of the nervous and then right. you go have a drink after work and do it again. Yeah. Um, especially the first job. One of the things you, I mentioned that you didn't mention is you actually left Houston and you were pursuing a career in journalism, correct? Yeah. And you know what? A good place, good company, good magazine. Tell me about that quickly. Yeah. So I ended up getting an internship, um, going into, I guess, the summer of my junior year, going into my senior year. So that summer they had us at, uh, all throughout Time Warner and we got to stay at Columbia we were like here all summer in New York and the city and like I was placed with People Magazine and it was very much um, an amazing time like it was a huge group of students from all over uh, running around those dorms and like exploring the city and then went back to school graduated and after my senior year I went to the Miami Bureau of People, got a job there. Not an internship, a job, right? An actual job, yes. Right, that's Um, cool. So fresh out of college, you know, going to the parties, living to life was a joy. But then that bureau closed and I, you know, didn't know what to do. So I knew I was bitten by that New York bug and I was going to come back. And so I just kind of foolishly thought, I'll come back. They know me up in here. I'm going to get a job at the New York office. And it was cool. They did, but it was like a stringer position. So you can either pitch stories and go cover them if they're approved or they tell you where to go. But it was very touch and go. Nothing that was like super, super steady. Do you think um, if things progressed, do you think, could you have seen yourself in a career in journalism or it was never going to go that way? 
You know, if they progress, maybe. I actually interviewed with Wine Spectator and then uh, was working just as like an intern at Wine and Spirits magazine. And so you had the wine bug by then. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I was like, let me transition it from this because people is touch and go. And also, you know, that type of beat is something that you really have to be into. And I just wasn't so much at the time, like fresh out of college and running around Miami was one thing. But then once I got here and started like working, it was just like, it all, it it never left, I guess, to want to do that. So how do you connect the things you go and work for a wine magazine? So that's kind of where my head was at that time. Do you think when you, when you think about what you're doing now and you look back, um, do you think the opportunity working at the retail level and even, you know, with a good wine importer, do you think that kind of rounded you out for what you're doing now? Yes, definitely. I mean, it's so funny to even, you know, what be asked to look back. It's like, right, yeah, you know, I even sometimes forget that I was a wine rep for a super cool wine importer for a whole year. But yeah, all those things just, it really was like scraping together jobs for money that were still in wine. Right. Because you don't have the song job. You do need a year to make money when you start, you know, repping, especially for a small esoteric book like Zev's was at the time. Um, That's Zev Rovine, which is, you know, a great, importer of very well curated wines right yes and i've just like kind of watched it grow and but again looking back they did and you can put all these things on your resume and learning all these aspects of the business help and i think that definitely 100 percent, those experiences got me here now i was going to ask you this question later but it's kind of appropriate now is it important at this point? And it, the the point is really two points. You know, what's important to you and the time now, you know, the pandemic and what's going on with the Psalm Guild. Is it important for you to pursue any kind of wine certification? I mean, do you need that? Do you want it? Um, uh, is it necessary? No, not on my table. If you mean me specific or you as the... No, like no, a- you. I, the, you know, yeah. all... When I first started out, I was at Thirst Wine Merchants with Lee, Lee Campbell. Right. And she and another mentor of mine, Marquita, had both done um, the 24-week viticulture and vinification course uh, through the American Sommelier Association. And it was was kind of like fast track to restaurant som job, which is what I knew I wanted. Um. So I did that, but I did it so long ago right. and it really, uh, maybe, maybe not. it really was only significant kind of in having that on, on the resume, quite frankly. Right. Um, right. But I knew I needed it if I wanted to land like another restaurant job or be at like terroir and like, right. you know, just to be kind of taken, you know, seriously in wine perspective and you know in conjunction with server experience but that was then you know and now you're more established so you intimated to me that it's not that important to pursue any kind of certification true you know what i think that a foundational space whatever that looks like i think it, it really goes to how you learn right um i have friends who know legions about wine and have never set foot in a, in a course um in those spaces where i learned from them however they were taught it was maybe drinking maybe digging in their own free time passion right. you know you don't have to go to fashion school to know sneakers or love brands right or follow them. So in that regard, you know, self-education and learning on the job really, really is what I pull from. Um, But again, if there's a space of 
where that can help you get a foot in the door, I would say maybe a like a shorter week, like an intro. And then some people really enjoy going through the levels. And so I guess it's just kind of you. Yeah. But I do believe that there has to be conversation, you know, you have to right. have some something to pull from to, to talk about the topic. Right. right. But it doesn't have to be, you know, a formal certification program. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with you because they're, you know, a, a, the people, people out there are just so great. I mean, you know, a guy like Raj Parr, who's been on the show a couple of times, you know, has no certification and he probably has one of the best palates and is one of the most knowledgeable guys, you know, so yes. end of discussion period type thing. Um, let's talk about the wine and hospitality industry. There's been, uh, there's always unfortunately been a lack of diversity, equality, and, you know, sexism has persisted. Um, but of late, there's been some great voices and advocacy in wine from people like Miguel de Leon, who wrote some stinging pieces about the industry, and Julia Coney, my friend, who started Black Wine Professionals. Um, yes. I'm just curious, and it's not about Julia or Miguel. I'm, why hasn't this type of activism happened sooner? You know, why weren't these voices sounded or these pieces written? I mean, what do you, what do I you th think? I think in the midst of all the shit that was going on, we found a little bit more strength and power in our voices. And right. I think between going on to news feeds and that also being Instagram, you start to see each other. And right. I think some voices went to the top, of course. Um, but in that collective space, I really just think, I mean, it, it was in a very tumultuous way, but things aligned to where it was like, this is fucking enough. Right. I'm going to say something. This industry is reflective of this. How do you have a Black Lives Matter poster up and you have no black staff? Right. What does your managerial table look like? And I think that's when the call out started coming. And then, I mean, it could have easily happened sooner and, and should have. But when things come together as they did in that way, in the space of in the wine business, no really outside distraction. There's no restaurants. There's no restaurant buying. You know, retail right. might be down a few people. Our interests are now in what's going on in the world. And you, it's not about talking about that at work. We can now talk about it amongst each other. Right. Across states, across the world, and realize that we're not isolated anymore in our situation. And I think that that's, you know, everything just kind of came to a head in that moment. And, you know, it was just beyond time. And so it happened and it was a major shift that needed to happen. And I really hope that those changes in those spaces continue to be pushed and acknowledged um, and thought about as we move forward day to day and as we continue to hire and as we continue to, again, well, as we said, plan so, trips, so whatever it is. You, you were, you were going to sort of answer my next question, which, you know, what are some of the pivots that we need to make now? And, you know, when you started saying hiring, I mean, it's an awareness, but let's talk about the realistic things you know, things that could be done, you know, things where people should be active and, you know, allies and all that. I mean, what are the things that come to your mind that are important, that are realistic? Because nothing's going to happen overnight. That's true. I think realistically, we're kind of in a space now, especially in the restaurant space, uh, where there is some hiring, but it's not like this thing. You know, hiring as we know it, you know, we might close in November. We're going to go 25% capacity if some restaurants do that. Right. You know, staff is going to get cut. So it's, it's for me, it's about the networking space 
you have the whole of Julia Coney's Black Wine Professionals. If something comes up, go to that list. Put somebody in touch. Make a connection. Reach people. Be engaged in what they're doing. Say, hey, it doesn't have to necessarily be, I have a job offer for you. It could just be, how are you? How are right. things at this restaurant? So Any communication. Kind of communication. Networking. Think, yeah. Yes. Realistically, I think those are the spaces. And I think even like Miguel did, there was a a, Burg- a virtual Burgundy tasting and they were going to send out um, Burgundian wines to a bunch of wine professionals um, and then like have like a chat, some cheeses were going to come. It was like a whole kit. Right. And I had to work. So that was, I was like, I'm out. But then Miguel, of course, took it a step farther and was like, can I offer my seat to BIPOC? Somebody who really there, right? like, wouldn't get it and would appreciate it. Exactly. Right. Right. So that's, that's you know, those are very simple ways to do that. Um, I mean, there's definitely, you know, attention towards this and efforts being made. Um, I mean, how long do we think these issues are going to continue? I mean, is this just going to be an ongoing thing that gets a little better, a little better, a little better? Um, I mean, are people, really are, are people going to, you know, when the pandemic calms down and, you know, some of the activism quiets down, are people just going to, you know, forget? I, I mean... I don't know. I think, I think in that moment where shit hit the fan, it was like, it was almost like a like we had dislocated our shoulder, right? Right. And then the shoulder gets snapped back. It's all painful. It hurts. And then I think we've been through a healing space. And I think now, I was just with a good girlfriend last night, and it's like, you know, the trauma porn is right. like coming <laughs> to an end. And I think, you know, we laughed. Uh she brought wine over. We drank. We talked about things. And I think that that's where, that's the narrative now. Like, coming out of that, you know, we feel seen, you know, Wine and Spirits, New York Times. Um, and so that's a, that's a joyous space for us um, to be seen, to be heard. It's not like running to the bank and cashing a check and, and calling it a right. day. Every day is something different, but in our private spaces, wine sister to wine sister at home, um, we are pulling out bottles and like ordering takeout and eating and drinking and like looking up wines. And I think that's what's going to continue to happen. I think that is where the narrative is going to change because in being seen and in having these private conversations that aren't just about the trauma. Right. I, we, I believe we'll start to the questions will continue to come back to the center of what are your thoughts on Jura? What do you think about this vintage? You know, right. Wine stuff. Wine stuff. Wine yeah. Stuff. You <laughs> know what everybody was oogling over before all of this. Um, exactly. One of, I think one of the things that was very important to you and, you know, should be, you know, another one of the uh, things that should be done is mentorship. Um, I think you could cite um, people that had an effect on you and were there, you know, when you reached out or needed them. Um, I mean, are you trying to, you know, spread yourself around to other people? Yes, there are spaces. It's mostly kind of in the in the DM me space of like Instagram right. because now, uh, now we can see each other. Now we know we're out there right. and go ahead. Are people DMing more just cause it's, it's a good time to do that. I mean, there's like we said earlier, there's more communication and reaching out. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity because people do have their eye on black line professionals and if that space needs to be filled by a black wine professional, we're also networking amongst ourselves without needing help from 
any, you know, white hand per se. So the DM space has been the space, I think, where in being seen and knowing what someone is doing, we're able to like directly communicate with them, say what's up, create a Zoom call with these people, see each other on Zoom. And I think our, the, specifically the black female wine community, um, I've seen expand so much. Every time something comes up, it's the same core space of like likes. It's gonna like, we're going to support this, whatever it is that you're doing. That's empowerment, you know, and yep. the, the private conversations are empowering and also spaces of mentorship where it's just like, what are you doing? What do you want to do? Reach this person. Uh, here's their email. DM them. Text that person. Look out for this DM. She's in San Francisco doing this. She wants to come to Virginia and check out some wines or whatever that looks like. It is this like very much an underground network that's happening right now because we see each other now and we can connect. Right. Um, how has how has the pandemic changed your life personally and professionally? I mean, we've talked about how it's brought a light to, you know, some of the shortcomings or a lot of the shortcomings, but what about you personally? I mean, you know, you weren't going to work every day. I mean, tell me how your life changed and are you getting back to, you know, routine? We'll talk about the restaurants, you know, in a bit. I want to talk about you. Well, personally, it's been real touch and go. It's been like high and low. (laughs) I can imagine. It was uh, an adjustment, you know, not having a job to go to um, as abruptly as that happened. Right. And then it was going back to work, quite frankly, after being out for about five months. Right. So it was weird going out and being like, okay, we'll be closed Monday, Tuesday in March. To it being, we're going to close for two weeks to absolutely not knowing when right. we were going to open. So you kind of, I think you lean in on that anxiety of like, what's going on here? Right. Never having had experienced anything like that. Um, and then when it was time to come back, it was like, okay, right. um, maybe... And then I don't know if this is how my life changed, but it's where I am now where being in the restaurant space, you know, is something that I won't be doing forever. I'll put it like that. There are some business plans out there because (laughs) it's grueling. The hours are long. Well, we, we know that historically and, you know, we could cite certain things. I mean, a lot of Psalms become winemakers, they become educators, um, they go on to do other things. I mean, while you brought that up, I mean, what are the type of things, you know, you'd be eyeballing in the future? Have you thought about anything specific or not yet? As specific as I can, um, you know, you think about retail shops being the move and like partnering right. with someone to open up a shop. Right. That's going to be somewhat safe. Um, Dust- Dustin Wilson left the floor of 11 Madison and opened Verve Wine, which is a terrific place. Yeah. And it's it's more think- than a wine shop. It's sort of a community. And the quality of life. You have a little bit more freedom of time and your space. Well, don't get crazy, Zwan. Retail isn't that much better than restaurants. But I guess restaurants are so tough. If you say so, I believe you. Listen, Sam, I ain't going to lie to you. (laughs) That's right. It really is about, and I mean, that's the thing. When I was in retail, I did find it a bit boring. But retail stores now can, like you said, become community spaces. and like. (laughs) I agree. And that's where they've been going, which is a nice thing. And I think that's probably why that's on your radar, because it's a nice thing to be part of or own or work at or, you know, sort of influence the industry and the community. Um, Swan, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, 
We're talking to Zwan Grace from Olmsted and Mezanyaki. She's the wine director. When we come back, I want to talk to you about the restaurants. I want to talk to you about some wines um, and a few other things. And then, of course, I will subject you to my wine list. You're listening to The Grape Nation. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Rancho Gordo. Over the past 19 years, Rancho Gordo has led the revival of heirloom beans, taking the lowly bean from a healthy but neglected member of the vegetable family to a near superstar status ingredient. From growing the best and most interesting beans available to making sure all crops are fresh and a pleasure to cook with, Rancho Gordo's mission is to encourage cooks to experience and enjoy the unique flavors of heirloom beans. Rancho Gordo produces nearly 30 varieties of heirloom beans and lentils, as well as corn, grains, chilies, and other cooking ingredients. You can learn more at ranchogordo.com. That's R-A-N-C-H-O-G-O-R-D-O.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Swan Grays. Swan is the wine director at... I wouldn't use the word buzzy because that doesn't fit, but very uh, like a terrific place in all senses. And we're going to talk about that, which is Olmstead. And then uh, the people at Olmstead opened uh, Maison Yaki. All right. So let's talk about Olmstead and Maison Yaki. But you can't talk about the restaurants without talking about Greg, Greg Backstrom, the chef owner who's sort of brilliant in a lot of ways. Do you agree? Yes. So tell me a little about him. I mean, this is the guy where he owns the place, he cooks, you know, everything trickles down from him. Tell me a little about Greg um, as far as your experiences. Mm, I think... I think it all comes from a a very uh, almost like youthful, energetic space. Um, and a very youthful and creative mind. He's been through all of any type of like fine dining regiment that you can possibly go through from Alinea, Per Se, Blue Hill Stone Barns. <laughs> Pretty good places. So, yeah, it's like, you know, <laughs> that is the training um, for what he's trying to do. Um, but he's doing the not the opposite of it, but he's doing very different than Alinea and even Blue Hill, certainly per yeah, se. Yeah. I think it's kind of um, just like as you do in wine sometimes, like you can you can work at these fancy places and drink uh, expensive, classic vintage wine. But then at some point you're going to want to maybe have a little more fun with it or, or taste something new. So then at that point, you can kind of put your own twist on it. I say that more so in comparison to a wine list. Right. You can kind of make it your own um, and put your stamp on it. And I think he you don't lose the technique. You just personalize it or do it your way, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, And he's gotten terrific notices from the day he hit the ground i was actually at the charleston wine and food festival and i was at one of his events and it was amazing and the wines were paired by laura from in kanu so it was really kind of a cool night um and i got to meet him and he is a very good guy all right so you've developed a wine program um at Olmsted, and it's fair to say with a lean towards natural wine, small producers, interesting wines, right? Yes. So break down, you know, we're really talking sort of pre-pandemic, you know, because everything got crazy since then. Break down the list for me, you know, and tell me what you did, you know, what's on it. Um, and then, you know, let's talk about Maison Yaki for, you know, a minute too. Um, but you get to Olmstead and, you know, what do you want to do? What can you do? What did you do? Well, when I got here, um, Max had been kind of wanting me to, to come on board. 
they were doing a very short list, uh, 60 wines under $60. And that was the theme. That was it. Like the guy who was overseeing the list was more of a tea guy. So he just liked wine. And so, you know, that was it. They had things like, you know, things that, you know, J.B. Becker and like, um, Peter Lauer, things that are good, of course. And, you know, I kept some of those on the Lauer for sure. But it didn't really, it, it almost seemed like they were just like the cherry picking of names of producers right. was what was going on on this list. And so you can open it. And I mean, it's, it's fine to open up a list and see things that you recognize and that you like. Cool, cool, cool. Right. But I think what I did was just kind of dig into importers that I trusted and believed in um, who were uh, importing and distributing natural wine. Um, But at the time it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't say that. I couldn't like, we couldn't say natural wine. We couldn't say Olmstead was doing natural wine. It was a thing that was just like, do not say this. I don't know. I think um, maybe it was frowned upon like, um, and maybe oh, yeah. it seriously, or maybe when you say natural wine, people are going to expect it to taste like shit. You didn't or want to be in that box is what you're saying. And that's what I was told. I knew who I wanted to put on there. Right. Um, and so it was very, you know, it's so funny because one of the owners is sending me pictures of like natty wine. And I'm like, I cannot believe, <laughs> I literally cannot believe that you're sending me a picture of this. Because they came up from Blue Hill Stone Barns, and that was not a thing. Yeah. And I'm sure they heard multiple times, like, we will never have natural wine on this list. Maybe or maybe not. But that was the vibe. And it just wasn't taken seriously. And it just wasn't, I guarantee you now, all in places of Gramercy and every other fancy place, EMP have, well, maybe not EMP. Let me scratch that from the record. Um have natural wine representation on their list. I really just kind of started buying things <laughs> and kind of like ninjaing, doing little ninja moves to like ninja a wine and that I liked um, and started kind of building from there. And then so, once it was able to be seen that these wines taste good, they're cool, the staff is about it, the guests right. like it, it started to kind of gain a little bit of of traction and, and therefore a little bit, a little bit of trust. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, I got to get build up the list from France or from the Loire or Jura. It was really, you know, what you wanted and what you thought you wanted to bring in. I mean, is that how the process started building up? Yes. It started with wines that I had worked with and that I had loved through the years. Um, Uh. You know, okay. at the safe space, safe space. And right. then from there, it really was tasting with Fifi, tasting with Kemi, tasting with Zev. Um, people who were kind of like pioneering that um, and had been doing it. And so therefore, they kind of know where they've been and what how the winemakers have grown, how the wines have gotten cleaner how the winemakers have a better understanding of their land, of their turning over their land, the biodynamic practices, because that's the thing. It was just like, um, we're all kind of learning here. Right. And so, you know, eight to 10 years later, it could be the same producer and the wines can taste heavenly, where at one point we just thought they tasted cool. They tasted, you know, maybe Well, weird. that's a fair... A fair assessment is that's a natural evolution of natural wines. I mean, you know, people, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, maybe more consistency, got better at it, you know, expanded. You agree with that? Yes, yes, yes. Now, do you, so now you know what wines you want to bring in. You kind of know what kind of list you want to have. Now do you sort of have to sit down with Greg and figure out, you know, that these wines or get wines that are compatible, you know, with his food? So two things, you know, is it a yes to that? And also describe his cuisine a little. 
Sure. Yeah. He does not, I don't think gives two bones about what the wine. I think again, it's, it's like full trust at this point. But I mean, um, but now I mean, it's up to you to, you know, to sort of have a compatible list. So it falls back on you. Yeah. So, I mean, I taste the food more than he tastes the wine. The wine. Okay. So I know what it tastes like. That being said, it's, it's changed now completely um, where it was more of like, you know, kind of like thought out fun, uh, visually stimulating and tasty small plates, which was the thing. It's now, you know, outdoor dining. So it's kind of designed to be shareable. So it's a little bit more like barbecue picnic food. Um, And at that point, you can just have a bunch of fun because it's not even about even trying to pair, really. We, people want to not spend so much money. Uh, We can have a little bit of fun there and like inexpensive things that you can just chug. um, Right. Or drink or, I mean, maybe get into the glass a little bit, but not really as much the point as maybe it was when um, when we were doing indoor dining and the menu was changing seasonally and right. all that. Um, but it's still well, very, it's still fun to eat um, and a hodgepodge of, of, of cultures on the plate. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, you know, I'm always curious when I get to talk to people like you, you know, currently what wines, winemakers, regions, you know, what's, what's on your radar right now? I don't know if that's a tough question in light of what's been going on. Cause maybe you haven't seen as many importers and there's been zero portfolio tastings, but that being said, I mean, you know, does anything interest you right now? Yeah. It's not really a region, but it, it is, Fifi, who, again, I don't even know if he's a mentor. He was just like, I mean, I said it in this um, newsletter, but it, it, thinking about him, it was, he was the first person I called um, on my first wine list at the Turtle, which is now closed. And he was the first person I called at Olmsted when I had like full control of a list because, again, I knew I could trust him and what he was doing. Um, so Fifi, you know, six foot French black man toting <laughs> right. natural wine in his Crocs and his like motorcycle. And he <laughs> would like pull these wines out. And it's like he had just come from there. So he's telling stories about what they were doing, like the nonsense they were getting into in France. And then in between those stories, he pours the wine. And it's not even really about breaking the wine down and like pH levels or drainage or anything like that. Not nerdy. It was not nerdy. We actually were just kind of listening and sharing stories while being in these tasting appointments. Okay. Long story short, he has done it all right. He had the Tin Bells. He had Passage Le Fleur, which is now Vanderbilt Wine Merchants, a little small, very focused, again, kind of natural leaning uh, wine shop. Right. He had these imports, right? So he's done all these things in the wine business. So now he just released um, a rosé uh, with Claude de Grillon out of the uh, Languedoc. And it's called Babushka after his daughter, which is the <laughs> nickname that he calls her. And uh, when I tasted it, it was like Fifi had just walked in the room with like his bag of bottles. It is I don't know if you want to hear all like the tasty notes, but Babushka from Fifi with Claude de Grillon is like one of the most joyful rosés I've had. And it will kind of go into fall because it's definitely has some, some body and some weight. It's not very Provençal at all. We think about the right. South of France um, on the, on the Languedoc side, a lot more body, but it's just cheerful. It's cheerful natty wine. Tell um, me, tell me the name again. We may have to spell it out because I want to make sure um, people. Babushka, B-A. Right, but B-A-B-U-S-H-K-A, Babushka. That's yeah. the name of the wine, and the winery is? Um, it's Fifi in collaboration with uh, Le Clos de Grillon. L-E-C-L-O-S-D-E. Yes. G-R-I-L-L. 
Grion, two oh, L's, O-N. Okay. So if people, you know, when I ask you to talk about something and you bring it up, I want to make sure people, you know, understand what it is. So that, that wine made an impression on you. Anything else? Well, I can say maybe two. I'm just thinking about what I've actually had recently. I was like, hmm. It's been a lot of, like, full-body dark rosés, to be perfectly honest. Um, Is that a seasonal thing? Like, we wouldn't be saying that if it was the middle of the winter? I don't know. Yeah, because tell um, Zwan, tell people they could drink rosé in the fall and in the winter, please. You could drink it in the fall, the winter. There you go. You heard it from Zwan, Okay. (laughs) It is always good. It's also like a go-to for me. I, I'm a big um, bubbles head. I can drink sparkling wine any type of way, right. any type of day, any time of day. So that's my somewhat go-to. But that being said, there's um, just off the cuff, um, a young woman, Meredith Bell, out of Willamette, who has a winery called Statera. And Spell that for me. S-T-A-T-E-R-A. Got it. Um, out of a limit. And when we think about, she's super young, but super focused on farming. And I think that, you know, I tasted the I tasted the wines and I was like, okay, you know, some Willamette Chardonnay, cool, cool, cool. She was in town, you know, a good friend, Jade Marley, um, is also my indie rep who... Uh, distributes those wines but she was like you gotta meet you gotta meet Meredith so I was like okay cool let's do it let's put it down her Chardonnays were some of the most exquisite Chardonnays and I I almost hate to like compare because I never want to be like who someone sounds like and they can't sound like themselves but (laughs) vocally you know people like a new singer comes out and you have to like compare them to a Right. That, come before. that said, very much rivaling um, some of the best burgundies I've had um, wow. with cleanliness and precision. Uh, the Johan Vineyard is like Demeter certified biodynamic and wow. just completely, uh, I don't want to get too geeky, racy and kind of like nervy in the center and like really pretty fruit. Um, again, for her to be young and to be, again, Demeter certified biodynamic for whatever that means, but it means, it means something to me. And is it, is it available at the restaurant? It is. Yes. Yes. It's actually on the shelf right now at the trading post and the babushka is coming tomorrow. It's got two cases of that. So that'll be, um, probably on the wine list. It's a short abbreviated list. But also, uh, it'll be at the at the trading post also. All right. So, t- tell me how the restaurants are working through the pandemic. I mean, you answered it a little. You've actually you've morphed into like a g- general store, grocery store, and a wine shop. Is that true? Yes. So that was super creative too, and I do think it was like a breathtaking job that they did with using their spaces and figuring out a way to just kind of be there for the community, but also like generate a little income. Cause let's be honest. Right. So the first thing was the food bank when we really were like, Oh, we're going to be closed for a couple of weeks. Okay. Maybe a month. Okay. What can we do? Food bank. So the food bank was like for restaurant workers, you know, food was donated. Um, our cook staff would come in, prepare meals, put them in bags and leave them in the vestibule. And I have friends who live in the neighborhood who were like, I went and I got that food and I ate. That's what we ate for nice. And it was free. It was there. Um, it was available. And, you know, you had dinner for the night. Then nice. as time went on, our PDR, they turned into um, the trading post or like a like a little like a little shop, a little larder right. um, where they were serving jams and breads. Some of our goods, like our Calabrian chili oil, duck riette, things that we make in-house right. and that were on the menu that people may want to buy. Well, that's gone full steam ahead now, um, and I don't know if they will 
revert. Put it back make- into a PDR space, if that's even a thing, like a small private dining room with like how many people, you know? Right. We'll see if that happens like next year. Um, but for, so, for right now, the, the larder's doing well. And then so maybe Nike is doing these pop-ups across the street where we're featuring uh, black chefs and entrepreneurs. I saw and that's that. going very well. Every two weeks, it changes. Um, we're into our one, two, three, sixth one. I'm actually going by weeks. Our sixth wow. one. And they've been great. And so every two weeks, you know, we switch it over, <laughs> which that's, is. That's creative. A can of worms, but we're here now, actually, um, with the new chef. They do a photo shoot, Clay Williams. Um, an amazing photographer, food photographer who's worked uh, not just with New York Times, but has set up black food folks on Instagram as a way for black food professionals to connect is just, you know, an icon. He Great. does the photography. So they have press, they have images uh, and they have a kitchen that they can use for two weeks to like pump out food in like a, a pop up scenario, which has been a great idea it's been super great yes when do you do you have any feel or sense or hope i mean there's going to be a new normal and i have no idea what it is but do you think that's coming when do you think that's going to happen i mean what happens with all this outdoor dining when it gets cold out i mean what you know what what when do things get back to you know something that resembles the past I think it's. I think the jury's out on that. I think there are people. Me too. <laughs> there, but in the restaurant ownership space, and I completely understand this. That are like, oh, we can go into indoor dining like in a few months. You know, word is out. Way this is a great thing, and then meanwhile, maybe some staff is like, I mean, is it like? What does that look like? You know, we have a small space like. Olmsted and Mezanyaki, you know, 25% capacity ain't really worth wow. it. It no. also probably would feel like an extremely odd dining experience to, I don't know. All I can say is this, Olmsted did a beautiful job pivoting and putting that back garden together when we didn't know what outdoor dining would look like. So I think, and, and now people are eating outdoors and enjoying it. When we were like, yep. ain't nobody gonna eat outdoors. We was guessing how it's gonna look. I remember looking at like a BuzzFeed situation <laughs> of like, Places around the world that are now opening up, and the the bizarreness of what those spaces look like, and now people are doing it. People feel safe. The setups are cute. Yeah, so I guess everything will just progress the way you know they're gonna go. I mean, it's hard to say. You know, like I said, the weather's gonna change. You know, people have large spaces, small spaces. Who knows? All right, Zwan, I told you I wouldn't let you get out of here without doing my wine list. We have about ten minutes left. Okay. Before um, before that, let me just say we were talking shoot. about like maybe a wine shop, but in the meantime, you know, I don't have a lease or keys. So in the networking space, whoever's out there, if you know of someone who is able and in need of a small curation of a list or is strapped for staff and needs some help with ordering or putting something together. Um, that consultation space is very open and alive. So you can reach me via Instagram at Zwan G or Z-W-A-N-N-G you can email me. at yes. Zwan G, right? Yes. Or you can email me at Zwan at gmail.com. If you know of anyone. G-R-A-Y-S, everybody, not E-Y-S. All right, I'm glad you brought that up, and I hope people hear that and uh, there's some reaction to that. All right, wine list. First question, You, we may have answered it a little before, but the question is, what are you drinking now? What what's in what the fridge? What are you tasting? Not this second, but you know, of course, it falls into seasonality. So I think rosé may be part of that. But you know, what are some of the things? Yeah, drinking now. <clears throat> My roommate is Greek, and he has a Greek importing company called Exceptacon, and he's in Greece now, happily, and so <laughs> we have a lot of Greek bottles in the house. And 
because I'm home a little more often than, you know, I, I get out for work because I do work five days a week. But I'm drinking a lot of Greek wine and it's kind of cool because we met because he took me on a Greek wine trip. So there are wines from people who I've been able to visit with. So um, the Contazesis Sun, S-U-N, is a Greek white that I've been, it's just kind of like my go-to. Okay. uh, What's it called? Contazesis? Yes. K-O-N? K-O-N-T-O-Z-I-S-I-S. I'm totally... I'll double check it, but I have the direction now because I post all your answers. You know, we post them on social media because people love to hear recommendations. All right. So Greek wines, um, I think they're becoming less underrated. I think the quality is good. I'm with you on that. Anything else? Um, Again, a lot of full body rosé, La Maresca. I just opened up last night. Um. And and I want everyone to understand the words full bodied. You know, don't think of don't think of um, rosé as Hamptons water only. You know, it's yes. very versatile. So full La Maresca, which is a nice you know full bodied. Anything else? Um, <clears throat> honestly, any pet net I can get my hands on because I'm with you on that too. <laughs> All right. Next question. Does Juan okay. Gray's have a favorite wine and food pairing? Is there some, not you eat every night or every week, every month, but something that's just, oh, yeah, that's good wine, good food together. It kind of changes often. Again, one thing I look forward to is I've mentioned this once before, but it is one of my favorites. Uh, in Houston, we have a place called Papa Do's. I just Tell like the P-A, either P-P-A or P-A-P-A. D-E-A-U-X. Kind of Papa like Doe. I got it. Yeah. Yep. So it's like a Creole kitchen because we're in Houston, you know, Louisiana, right next door. And they do um, a crawfish etouffee. And my parents, again, they don't drink. But I'll get like what goes with that? whatever Chenin Blanc that they have. And I talk to them because they have a full deep list and, you know, wines. That Shannon, I'm- Shannon, Shannon. So, so or, Shannon, um, Shannon and, or Riesling and Etouffee. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Third okay. question. Tell me your favorite or suggest some favorite wine restaurants and or bars. Places that have, you know, like Olmsted, have a really cool list, have good people running it, are knowledgeable, has a good vibe. You know, what What do you see? And, you know, because you're here, I guess, Brooklyn, New York City. A couple things come to mind? Yes. Also, gumbo and bouvray. Good pairing. Okay. Okay. And roast chicken and, and white rum. Okay. They're all coming all to right. me now. Um, <laughs> places that I like to go, I'm I'm literally at Lalu up the street. Okay. It's about every night. Um, Dave Foss is there uh, in partnership with Joe Campanale, but Dave is there. He was an extreme knowledge bank when I was at Enfora, and now they're right up the street. So I'm like, yep, at that's home. a good spot. I'm at Joe, work and I'm at Lalu. Also, Joe's been doing a good job. What yeah. else? Um, Otway. Otway? Yeah, I'm at Otway, yes. I think it's yep. O T T W A Y. A woman named Sam. Uh, owns and operates it again a nice kind of tight uh again hard natural list good vibe good food uh fancy nancy where's that that's also in brooklyn kind of hitting bedsty um okay. a couple owned um and again on the on the like small these are the places I've been going because they're they're Well no, I I listen, they're prob if you're mentioning them, you know, besides being neighborhoody and all that, you know, they probably yeah. have interesting lists and all that. All right. Yeah, hunky Dory too. Hunky Dory. Claire Sprouse, uh, a big, huge, solid queen in the <clears throat> world and her spot does pop ups also, but Hunky Dory, check it out for cocktails, wine and food. 
All right. Those are all good ones. And like I said, I'm going to post them. Tell me, fourth question, favorite all-time wine. I always say that I used to ask this question because I wanted people to tell me the rarest, most expensive wine. That's not what the question's about. What's the wine that was important to you as far as, you know, changing how you think or was an oh, wow moment? I mean, what's, what's that? What's that wine that meant something to you? Hmm. Could be more than one if it has to be. I think Pierre Gagnon. Um, Rome just... was one that I was like, okay, this is actually exquisite, tailored, clean. The St. Joseph's? Yes. Yes, yes. I am so in that ballpark with you. Those are some of my favorite wines. Um, so I'll never forget that. And then also, uh, like the other end of the spectrum, maybe the wines from uh, Tissot, the whites, some of the, the Mac Benz um, are also just extremely like breathtaking and, and now, is that Stéphane Tissot? Is that what we're... Yes, yes. Okay. So Tissot and uh, Gonan. Yes. Those, those are good answers. Those are wines throughout time, your career, your interests that, you know, are you remember are important. Yes. And you love... Okay. All right. Last question, and you should be able to handle this very well. Um, because you are in a sense in retail now and you're a restaurant person and a sommelier recommend to me the best wine around 15, 20 bucks, recommend a red or a white. And I ask you that because my kids are in their twenties. I always say they can't bring shitty supermarket wine to a party or a dinner mm -hmm. and they don't have the 40 bucks, you know, to bring that bottle. So they want a wow at about 15, 18, 20, 22. Give me a red, give me a white. You could do category. You could do specific maker whatever. Okay. So for the white, I'm going to go, uh, which is, I always go to it. The Julie Beno Picou de Penne. Um, inexpensive. Who's the winemaker? Julie. Okay. Beno. Spell the last name. B-E-N-A-U. Um, B-E-N-A-U. Beno. I got it. So the Julie Beno Picou. Yes. A That's red. the white. Give me Ooh. a red. Red. A little harder, right? A little harder. Uh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking, but nothing's happening. I know nothing's happening. I haven't red wine was not my go-to. Even when I get like samples of red wine, I and I take them home, they're still full. So I'm blanking on a fifteen. All right, I'm going to answer that for you because <laughs> I think any pet nat that uses any kind of red grape will accept. Okay, because you could probably get in that category. All right. Good job on that, Swan. As I mentioned, I will post your answers and any other any of the other wines we mentioned. We got to wrap up the show. I told you to go pretty quickly. Let me do a quick show wrap, and then I want to get some info from you. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. On Instagram, we're at SBenRuby. And on Twitter, we're at BenRuby. But you could use the hashtag The Grape Nation on both. As I mentioned, we'll post Swan's wine list on our social media sites. Swan, if we want to find you and we want to find more about the restaurants on social or Internet, where do we go? Uh, for me, it's at Zwan G. That's Instagram? That's Instagram. Okay. Um, you can follow Maison Yaki. Right. Uh, Olmstead. Olmstead is O-L-M-S-T-E-D, not E-A-D. Yeah, e no and Maison Yaki is Maison, M-A-I-S-O-N, Yaki, Y-A-K-I. They both have... Um, social sites on facebook and instagram yes. um, you could and google them and, all. and greg backstrom too bax yeah. um he's a terrific guy all right 
We got to wrap it up, Swan. It was a lot of fun. Thank you to our guest, Swan Gray from the wine director at Olmsted and Maison Yaki in Brooklyn. I want to thank our engineer, Amanda, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.